Friendship isn't the big things, it's a million little things. Welcome friends, to the A Million Little TV Shows podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'll be delving into TV shows that I feel don't seem to get enough love. Over the course of the pod, we'll break down episodes and talk about my thoughts and feelings on the shows. I hope we're all doing well out there and I hope you're having a fantastic time leading up to Christmas. As you'll hear throughout the next couple of episodes, I know because I've recorded a shit ton, you'll hear me talking about how I'm getting ready to go to Japan over the Christmas period. So at the minute I am trying to get as many episodes as I possibly can done in season three of A Million Little TV Shows podcast to make sure that I am covering over the Christmas period and possibly into January so that I don't have to fret when I come back and think that I haven't done enough. So at the minute it is coming up to the back end of November and I am working tirelessly. You may hear from my voice that, I mean it's gruff anyway but fucking hell, it has been a rough couple of days trying to get episodes sorted. I've just finished recording i've just finished recording the whole of season three of a million little things so i'm now going through inside number nine so like i say this is a million little tv shows podcast this is season three episode two and today i am going to be focusing on inside number nine season three episodes one to three now as i always say about this series is something that came out of nowhere i don't think i watched the originals until later on and when i did i fell in love with it i think it's fantastic i can see why people compare it to black mirror in some respects but also it's got that league of gentlemen twist which i like i was a massive fan of league of gentlemen as i've told you many times before so getting into this series really is something i find fascinating and the thing is it's you know it's eight nine seasons deep now and it doesn't seem to go over old ground which i i love i think that's fantastic for a series to keep being fresh when it's so far in i mean like i say we're only three seasons in on here but i've watched all of the seasons several times now and i think it's great it is such a rewatchable show and it's fun and it makes you think and it's also a little bit spooky at times so now is the time to start talking about it so let's get into the episode of inside number nine season three Episode 1, The Devil of Christmas. This episode stars Steve Pemberton as Julian, Rishia Smith as The Guide, Rula Lensky as Celia, Jessica Rain as Kathy, George Bedford as Toby, and Derek Jacobi as Dennis Fulcher. So this episode starts off with a clapperboard, and it shows a date in December 1977. So we can see that it's going to be a film set, and as the scene plays out, you see a family walk through a door in a chalet out somewhere in Europe. It seems maybe Austria, maybe Bavaria, but once they get there, they seem to come in, settle in, and begin to talk. It's a very sort of 70s b-movie type feel to it and they're introduced to the house by klaus who is the guide played by Shearsmith. and as klaus is showing them around the house they see a picture on the wall and it's of krampus devil of christmas 
and and Julian asks about what is Krampus. So Klaus gives him the story of what and who Krampus is. And it's only moments later that a voiceover comes over and it is of the director. And it seems to be some sort of interview or audio commentary throughout. And he's telling about the filmmaking process and he's telling about things that they had to change last minute. For instance, the picture of the Krampus was actually on the wall of the chalet when they walked in. But eventually it's moved to the centre of the room. So it's giving you that sort of quote-unquote movie magic. And while they're staying at the house, obviously it's a remote chalet and it's got that horror movie feel as I've said so you know something is about to happen so as Klaus tells the story of the Krampus he tells them that over three nights the Krampus will visit and if a child has been good they will be obviously visited by Father Christmas however if they are bad the first night sticks or a switch would be left in the boots of the naughty child to make sure that they temper their ways and on the second night if that child had not changed in the day the child would end up having the mark of the devil upon them and if they still hadn't changed their ways by the third night the child would be taken down to the depths of hell and the way that Shearsmith delivers it is brilliant but throughout you've got Jacoby coming over and saying things like god he takes too long on this scene or when the child is tucked into bed they also say something along the lines of he's a terrible actor but for this kind of role back then it was you had to deal with what you got and it's (laughs) it's such a good funny scene without really probably meaning to be but yeah it's um it's an interesting thought the the differences between the way that different cultures deal with Christmas. At this point, Klaus is obviously an Austrian guy who is, I mean, Shearsmith and he's talking in what seems to be an Austrian accent. And I mean, I don't know too many Austrian people, but he's not doing too bad a job, I suppose. And for the 70s, as where it's set, he's doing all right. But yeah, it's um, it's cheesy as hell, but really quite funny at the same time. So due to the fact that their young son has ended up with a bunch of sticks in his boots overnight, one of the cast obviously thinks that the Krampus has visited. And it's all cheesy, like, zoom-ins and bad laughter and over-dramatic flourishes when it comes to talking about things. And it's so badly acted. But obviously they're actors acting badly for a bad movie. They've done it so well. It's so brilliant. (laughs) One of the other things that they talk about throughout the scene is the fact that the actors aren't eating any of the food that's put out in front of them. In fact, at one point, Klaus plates up some dinner for the child, but before he can even pick up a fork, he's told that it's time for bed. He's just got his dinner, but it's time for bed. And it's it's all too dramatic and all too... The, the only word for it is cheesy, but it's funny the way that they are shooting it. And like I say, there's a lot of dramatic zooms in and <laughs> it's great. It's just a fun little ride throughout. But because of the way that the boy has been throughout the day, everything's going to be fine now and that nobody needs to worry about the Krampus coming back. The child ends up getting marked 
by the devil and he gets taken back to K with his gran and there was only two flights left on the plane so the mother and father had to stay but while they do stay it's mentioned that the lead actor actually has a voiceover that he had to do later on that day and that he wanted to get the scene over as quickly as possible so he could get on the road and go and do this other piece of work but the lead actress was actually being deliberately slow knowing that he was trying to just cut and run basically so it's a it's a fun little insight into how certain things are made and especially back then it's is a delight to watch it just makes me smile the whole way through because it's cheesy as fuck and <laughs> it is stupid there's so much dramatic act over dramatic acting that just i can't help myself there's a lot of staring off into the distance and oh my god it's cringe inducing at times but it was of the time and that phrase gets overused a lot these days but for this kind of thing I think it's very fitting. So now Julian and Kathy are left alone, and while brushing Kathy's hair, Julian notices scratch marks on the back of Kathy, and then he goes to the closet and finds that there's sticks in her boots, and all of a sudden she is the one who is going to be taken by the Krampus because she is also pregnant. And when she confesses that she has been naughty all this time, and when she admits that the child is naturally Julian's, Julian ends up having a heart attack when she is taken by this fiend Krampus that turns up in the house and obviously the costume is fucking terrible but Krampus takes her and then she confesses everything that but then Julian has a heart attack and she confesses everything that actually the man who was Klaus isn't Klaus at all he is someone in disguise and and he is the person that she had the affair with so then they cut the scene everything gets changed over and they head off to do the final scene. But then, as with all inside number nine, we get the twist. So, Kathy is taken up to the room, and the man is revealed to be Simon, who ties her to the bed and looks like he's going to ravage her. <laughs> and again, it's all cheesy over the top acting, and Simon comes back with a Krampus outfit on and essentially goes to scare her and it's meant to end on the scream of the woman and they cut the scene and everything's fine and then Simon leaves and then it turns out that they're not done filming. Kathy is still tied to the bed and they bring in some tarpaulin, put it under her and she's screaming about, I didn't understand, where is this? I haven't seen any papers for this, where's this scene come from? And then she gets her mouth gagged and another man is put into the Krampus outfit and handed a machete and here you hear the voiceover say it's at this point that you can see the fear in her eyes that's not acting anymore she knows what's about to happen and the guy in the Krampus outfit comes in and you hear the voiceover say I don't want to see any more of this and it's implied that the man kills her and then you hear a voiceover saying police interview concluded at and you realise that the man is under arrest. When I first saw this episode I didn't like it. I think I've said that a few times about some of these episodes but again watching it the differences like the little bits that you just watch and you just go that's quite clever like how cheesy it like I keep saying it throughout the episode but go watch it if you haven't because it is cheesy. That's the only word to describe it. It is 70s nostalgia cheese fest. Like 
like it is a bad, bad movie. And if it was shown today, people would be like, what were you watching in the 70s? Obviously, I'm not from the 70s, but they were bad films and they were just beyond. It's ridiculous. Uh, I find it so funny and so cheesy and so fun. And at first, I didn't understand it. And then you get to the end and obviously the twist comes and you go, that's a clever episode. I want to watch that back again. So, yeah, a lot of fun. Really enjoy that episode. Episode 2. The Bill. This episode stars Pemberton as Malcolm, Shearsmith as Archie, Jason Watkins as Kevin, Philip Glenster as Craig, and Ellie White as Anya. So the episode focuses on four men in a restaurant at the end of the night trying to pay the bill. There's Archie, Malcolm, Kevin, and Craig, and Archie, Malcolm, and Kevin have known each other for what seems to be a very long time, and they're arguing over who is to pay the bill. Craig, however, isn't part of the group but has come up from Chiswick and has been alone for most of this time. And it's only through his connection to Archie that they actually got to know each other. And it seems like this has been the last night that they'll spend together. So they've been out for a big meal and Anya, the waitress, is just trying to close up for the night. And these are the last four people in the restaurant. So they're fighting over who wants to pay the bill and at first it looks like it's going to be a four-way split but then all of a sudden Malcolm pipes up and says no I want to pay the bill but Archie tells him no I'll pay because you got last time and then Craig just wants to go so he's like no I'll pay you've treated me well while I've been here I'll I'll pay and Kevin unfortunately doesn't make as much money as the others so so he's sort of keeping quiet until the people are willing to pay or he tells them that he knows what the menu is and he knows what he's going to have so he knows how much money he needs to take out and will only arrive with that amount of money the other guys are just trying to put it on their card so as they go through this whole masculine competition where they are basically swinging their dicks around to try and get this bill paid there's obviously certain aspects of both Malcolm and Archie's life that come up as well as Kevin's through their friendship and the fact that Archie wants to pay this time but Malcolm knows that he'll probably end up paying next time which is when all the wives and girlfriends come out and Archie's wife is particularly bad when it comes to drinking so he'll end up being double probably what Archie's trying to pay now and there's a funny moment with Kevin when he offers to pay the bill and everyone's shocked because he never would try and pay the bill generally but he's so taken aback by everything that he wants to pay the bill but as he goes to try and pay it he brings out 50% off coupons and it turns out that they've expired so everyone just rips into him it's ridiculous and they are just like I say, dick swinging and cock measuring. They are just trying to one-up each other and trying to get this bill paid. And this poor Anya is just in the background waiting on them to get this over the line. So eventually they end up getting into big arguments about a lot of different things. And Archie feels like Malcolm is constantly trying to steal the limelight and all he wants is a little bit of glory for himself and he calls him selfish for wanting to pay for this meal. However, Craig is up from London and he's apparently really rich and he just wants to get this meal over and done with and paid for but they feel like he is just flashing his money around. So every time that they look like they're coming to a conclusion. They get back into it. For instance, Archie tells them that this may be the last time 
that he ends up being able to pay these types of meals because he's just found out that he's got a brain tumour and he's not sure how long he's got. The doctors have said three months, but it could be any time now. And (laughs) at this point, Malcolm leaves the table and goes off and you think that he's just having a moment to himself to think about his friend's death but he comes back and tells him that he's a fucking liar he's just text archie's wife and asked her about it and she knows nothing about this even though he claims that he spoke to his wife about it and it's just ridiculous fucking stupid pointless shit and eventually they end up getting into a slanging match over it and they're trying to fight in the restaurant over this piece of paper until the point when Anya comes out and goes look I need to close the restaurant this is ridiculous I've phoned my manager and he says that you can have it gratis you can have it on the house just please let me lock up and go home this is too much and just as it seems to be finished it's not Malcolm tells the group that it's not about the bill anymore it's about pride and so they decide to play five-finger fillet with the sharpest knife that they can find in the restaurant. So during the game, they end up fighting as always. And during Archie's turn, Craig takes the knife and thrusts it back behind him, where unfortunately, Anya is stood. And it's at that point that everything goes to pot. Anya starts bleeding out from her throat and Malcolm goes to tend to her while everyone else panics around them. Apart from Archie, Archie knows what he's got to do and he starts making phone calls and telling people that, yep, it's okay, we will sort this out. All of a sudden, now they need 200 grand between them to try and fit this bill because they are essentially getting rid of the body and all of a sudden, it's all hands on deck. So Craig rings up to his nanny and he knows that he has enough money to cover the whole bill. But while he's on the phone to her, He accidentally stands on Anya's fingers and she calls out, Ow! And then they realise that their whole cover is blown. This is just a scam that they are pulling. Anya is in on it and the other three guys are doing something that they've done several times before by the sounds of it, just to make money. They explain what they've been doing to Craig, but now Craig is in the restaurant locked in with them. And when they tell him that they're going to need his phone so that he can't call the police, he tells him, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to get out of here and call the police straight away. And then Kevin tells him, well, I guess we're going to have a problem here then. Cut to the restaurant being closed up again. And this time, Anya is sat with the new Mark. Kevin and Malcolm is telling the same story they did previously. But this time, when they call over the waiter, he turns around and it's actually Craig. Now, this is a funny episode. It really is funny. There's a lot in this episode where you recognise people from past experiences that you've had where either they're a Kevin and they can't afford to pay for the whole thing or they are a Malcolm and an Archie where they want to pay the whole thing but they're just going to argue over it. And then obviously there's the one person who's a Craig who just goes, fuck it, I'm just going to pay for it. Shut up, I'm not going to let anyone argue about it, I'm just paying. And that's it. And it's such a funny episode. It really is funny. 
and it's clever. Even though I've seen this episode several times, I forget where it's going. And when it starts, they're talking about putting money on horse races. And I keep thinking that that's what this is, that that's how they scam him. I know that they're scamming him, but I can never remember how they scam him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're going to end up doing a syndicate. And that's and it's every time I do it. Every time I watch it, I go, that's how they're going to scam him. And then I forget. And it's only when Anya comes into it, I go, she's involved somehow. Doesn't she die? Um, How does she die? And I can never remember the five-finger fillet for the life of me. But it's a nice twist. It's fun. It's a really fun episode. It's really funny. And, yeah, just brings me so much joy watching it. The guys at Inside Number 9 are so creative. Episode three, The Riddle of the Sphinx. Once again, this has Pemberton in as Professor Nigel Squires, Shearsmith as Dr. Jacob Tyler, and Alexandra Roach as Nina. Nina breaks into the office of Professor Squires, who is a cryptic crossword creator, and he does the cryptic crossword for the school paper under the pseudonym of the Sphinx. And while he is... And while he is talking to Nina, she tells him this story about how she was just playing a trick on her boyfriend because her boyfriend's really smart, but she is more street smart. And her boyfriend actually does the crossword every morning and she just wanted to join in with the fun. He always seems to be engaged with it and she just wanted to be able to play a little prank on him, I suppose, by knowing the answers to the next day's crossword but while she's there the professor tells her how to solve some of the riddles from a crossword and helps her engage with the whole process of what you do with a cryptic crossword and actually teaches her some methods of how to solve it and while she's solving it right in front of him and he's just marking it up on the grid for the next day's crossword and it seems like even though she is not exactly adept to this kind of thinking she's eventually getting it and slowly getting there with it so while starting to now understand some of the clues Nina is found to be a little bit of a liar she said that her boyfriend was an architecture student and as soon as Professor mentions two names, she says, oh, yes, it's so-and-so. But it turns out that that person doesn't even teach. And he says, so why are you lying? And she just says, I just wanted to learn. And he goes back to what he was doing before, going through clues. But as he's going through this next clue, he starts to get choked up a little bit. He's already drunk some tea, and it seems like there's something wrong with the tea. It's here, he sits in his chair, and he sits stiff, mouth agape, and he's gasping for air. And then Nina starts to solve the puzzle without any help, and tells him that essentially he is that essentially he has misjudged her. She is a marine biologist and knows how to get hold of tetrodotoxin, which is in a puffer fish. And she knows that if he ingested enough of that, it would start to shut down his respiratory system. And she tells a story of Simon, her brother, who, when he went into a competition against the professor, the professor ended up questioning his final answer because... Professor knew that he was beaten. And so, being in the old boys' club, this poor lad, Simon, ended up losing the competition due to disqualification. 
because the professor had so much sway. And that night, he went back to his room and he hung himself. But just as she says that, the professor comes back to life and says, no, 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 he hanged himself. And she realises that something's wrong. He should be dead now, and he's not. And then he starts to solve the puzzle again. So, of course, now Nina starts to panic because she realises that the professor has actually switched the cups. And not only that, he's actually written it into the grid as he's solving all the clues. And he tells Nina that actually it was her professor that told him about what was going on. And he calls Dr. Tyler to come over so that he can administer the antidote to the tetrodotoxin. But when Dr. Tyler turns up, he tells him that she'll survive six hours if we get her into treatment right now. But actually there is no cure for this. Hospital treatment is the only way she will live. She's got about 30 minutes. Dr. Tyler tells the professor that he needs him to do something for him before they can call an ambulance for her and he then tells him that he needs him to be like the sphinx and consume his victim because she couldn't answer the question right and it's at this point that the professor is thinking that Tyler has lost his mind why would you want me to consume your student and then he tells him that basically he knew he was too smart for his own good that he would write this crossword proving that he was smart enough to kill this girl off his own back and not only that he manages to show that he could dump her in some swampland, which is also another clue within the actual crossword. And so Tyler tells him that this is his revenge for what he did. So now, with essentially his confession mapped out in front of him, the professor wants to save the girl as soon as possible. It's then that the doctor tells him that you need to pay for what you did. And it turns out that several years earlier, Dr. Tyler and the professor went to the same university and were friends. And Dr. Tyler fell in love and had a family of his own and had twins, a boy and a girl. But eventually he found out that the professor and his wife were having an affair and he ended up moving to Wales taking his daughter and his son to go and live and he raised them on his own while his ex-wife was now married to the professor his son became obsessed with crosswords and ended up entering competitions and it turns out that the one that he entered was the one where the professor accused him of cheating and it was him Simon that went and took his own life and then the professor realizes that actually the girl on the floor is Dr. Tyler's daughter and Dr. Tyler is just letting her die right in front of his eyes just to get revenge on this man for stealing his wife but then he tells him that when Simon died there was an inquest and tests were done and it turns out that the children weren't Dr. Tyler's they were actually the professor's so now not only has the professor's son died, but also his daughter is dying in the middle of his office. Dr. Tyler puts a bullet on the professor's desk and tells him that if he's going to wave a gun around like he did at the start, then he better be using it by the end. And then the doctor walks out and leaves the professor to do his final deed. This episode, man, fucking hell. It is a roller coaster. Absolute roller coaster. I love this episode and I always know the ending and it always makes me have goosebumps. It is phenomenal how good this episode was. The whole thing with the crossword and it's all set around this one thing and you are trying to guess 
again and again where the ending's going to be. And even though I know the ending, I am still sat there going, this is fucking good. This is really fucking good. Like, it is super clever. And I just love it to bits. It is one of my favourite episodes that they have ever, ever done. It is inspirational how good they made that episode. I cannot praise it enough. I think it is such a fun, clever episode. It subverts so much. It just flip-flops. You think that, first of all, the professor's going to die. Then you realise, no, he switched the cups. She's going to die. But then you're going, well, she's going to die, but this doctor's going to save her. No, this doctor's not going to save her. But then it turns out that her brother killed himself. His son killed himself. That person is the same person. Therefore, the girl is now the daughter. And then it subverts the whole thing by going, yeah, but she ain't mine, she's yours. Fuck, you know, it's like a cryptic crossword in itself. I love it. I love this episode and I love the start of this season. I think it's so, such a good season and I just can't wait to get into more of it. So I'm going to be doing some more tomorrow night. And I'm going to be going through inside number nine again pretty soon. And I, I, I can't wait. So that's enough from me. The other episodes are going to go very long. I know they are. But for now, that's it. So thank you for listening. And I really hope to hear from you soon. Bye. Well. That's all for now, amigos. If you manage to make it to the end of my ramblings, thank you. And if you want to rate, share, subscribe, comment, it's all appreciated. Until next time.